Welcome to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter, the number one podcast for the number one crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter. Now, here's your host, Richard Bliss. Welcome to the show. You're listening to episode 220. I'm Richard Bliss, like the man said, and this is Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. You know, I have a special shout out. A thank you to our Patreon supporters, Scott Alden. Scott, thank you for your generosity. And uh, also to Kevin Castle, two uh, recent um, contributors to the Patreon campaign that you can find at patreon.com slash Richard Bliss. Please support the show if you like what you hear. Now, let's go take talk to one of... I'm thrilled to have my guest back today because she has been on the show once or twice before, along with her husband um, in separate episodes. Always the most popular and always a pleasure to have her. I don't get to talk to her enough. So I want to welcome back Sandra Taylor to the show. Sandra, thanks for joining me. I'm very glad to be here, Richard. Thanks for inviting me. Well, it, I'm thrilled because you are, um, we've known each other for years and years. Our, uh, we've watched our kids grow up, and I have got to watch you and your husband um, transform your lives from the working grind, doing it the way everybody else is doing it, to doing it the way everybody else wants to do it. And that's why I wanted to have you on the show. And because uh, I, I aspire to what you've done and accomplished with your family and your life, and uh, it is pretty amazing. So I thought we'd share that with our audience. Are you willing to do that? I'm happy to do that. So what we're going to talk about is um, you have written about uh, making create room for creativity in your life. We have spoken about it briefly on the show before, but you have seven things, seven steps to making creativity room for creativity in your life. Let's talk about that. Where would somebody start who's looking, who wants to become a creative person and make room for that in their life? Where would you start? Well, um, before you even get to any of the steps, the first thing I would say is uh, to remind people that anything you practice, you can get better at. And and we're going to talk about seven different things that you can choose to practice at. Pick whichever one is easiest for you to start with. Don't try to do all seven you know, don't try and renovate your life hugely. Um, and actually, that that uh, that seeks right into one of the steps, which is you know, master the small stretch. Which is, as creative people, we have this this tendency to want to just jump in and do all the things and change all the things and make them all. You know, we're gonna you know renovate renovate our whole lives, and that generally leads to failure. What you have to do is decide to pick one small thing to change, and you practice the one small thing, and then as you get better and that small thing becomes natural to you, you can change one more small thing. So from, uh, an, from the angle of creativity, what would be one of those small things that you would want to master? Um, saying, hey, I'm, I, I'm a writer. So saying, I'm going to write for at least 15 minutes a day. Ah, that, right, right. That's a, that's a small change, but it is a pervasive change that over time can make a huge difference. But making sure you get those 15 minutes, okay, if you have that one thing that you know you have to do every day, uh, that's manageable. But if you decide to change, to add 15 minutes and to exercise and to change your diet and you're changing all of these things at once, you're not going to remember all of them. So Got it. one thing. Okay, I, I like that. Master the small st- stretch. Pick that one thing and get good good at it. Okay, right. Um, what would the, be number two? Number two, uh, identify your support network. Um, it is really hard to succeed at creative things unless 
you have a support network. Um, your support network, uh, for a lot of people, ends up being their family and friends. Um, but for some people, it is not. Some people, the family and friends, are actually obstacles to their creativity. Oh, are we allowed support. to say? Are we allowed to say that on the air that our family and friends are obstacles? I hope my they mother. Can I, be. I hope I've, my mother's I've, not I've, listening. No, it's well. In, in your case, maybe that is not true. But I've talked to people where their loved ones are actively hostile to their creative work. Um, you know, where they they don't support it, they think it's a waste of time, and they tell them that it is. That kind of uh, a relationship is an obstacle to remaining creative. Um, and so it's it's very hard when you have that relationship. I've been very very fortunate in that, uh, you know. My husband and my kids all see the value in creative work. And while they sometimes inadvertently uh, interrupt or, you know, uh, make it harder, they're not doing it on purpose. They're, you know, they, they want to support me. Sometimes they don't know how. But, by, um, but you, you need to look around as a creative person and identify who actually supports you who doesn't, and then you have to evaluate those relationships um, no. and decide what is more important to you. Is it more important to preserve this relationship, or is it more important to preserve to to seek your creative work? So let, let's just um, for points of reference, you mm-hmm. and Howard are both creative. Um, you both are writers. Uh, artists um, doing life as creativity. You have found a way as a family to sustain a living, um, creating creative work. Um, your books, Howard's uh, Schlock Mercenary, speaking, yeah. tours, all of that that goes out there. Um, you also have a family of five children? Four, Four children. Four children, sorry. Um, and they range in ages right now from 11 to uh, 19. So we've got one in college. Yeah, and, and, and what's important here is is that 11 to 19, but you have been doing this creative lifestyle work thing for how long has it been now? Has it been 10 14, years? 14. 14 years. Yeah, yeah so. I started 14 years ago. It's not like they all grew up and then you decided, hey, let's have a second career. No, I remember when you and Howard made that decision to leave a fairly lucrative job in the high-tech industry that was predictable with income. And make that leap to the creativity side with a growing yeah. family and a mortgage, and you guys yeah. went all in. Yeah, and at that time, our youngest was one year old, so we did we did the babies and the toddlers and and all the way up uh, with with the creative stuff. So when you so, talk yeah, about the we, support network, that support network isn't like now where everybody's grown up in adults. No, you were you were juggling all of that at the same time. That is correct. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about okay number three. We've got we've got master the small stretch. Identify your support network. What's, what's number three? I'm liking this. This is good. Okay, um, a range of physical space for whatever the creative thing that is you do. You need to have a physical space in your living space. You know whether it's a house or an apartment that belongs to your creative work. When Howard started cartooning, where there was a file box that sat on the kitchen counter, and that's where his cartooning stuff went. You know, all of his supplies, you know, his art, his drawing books and his pens and pencils just lived in a file box on the kitchen counter. And when he went to sit down and draw, he would pull the box out, and he would unfold and use the kitchen table. And then when he was done, because at that time we had, you know, babies and toddlers, he would then put everything back in the box and put it in the kitchen counter and put it away. Um, but having that physical space... It, 
these days he has his whole own office and we've got, you know, multiple drawing tables and stuff. So it's, it's evolved. Um, for me, my creative space for writing is my laptop. I open my laptop and it can, and it can be in the front room, it can be in my bedroom, but that laptop is the physical space. Uh, okay, let me, One, let me ask, uh, stop you right there because mm-hmm. that laptop to me, is a portal into this infinite sucking of my time space, not <laughs> creating my, because I spend a lot of time in my profession writing and I've discovered that I almost have to do it with pen and paper because if I open up that laptop, it's suddenly I'm not in my space. Interesting. Yeah. See, and that's, that points up that the, the space is going to be different for each person. One of the things that happens when you create a physical space that you train your brain when I open this thing, you know, I, I am now doing my creative work. Um, this is one of the reasons why I have, I have a desktop computer from which I run business things, and I have a laptop computer, which is where I write. And so I have, uh, having the different spaces lets me engage different parts of my brain. Right. I, know, I know creators who have little rituals where they light a candle and have their little cup of tea, and they sit down, and that is how they create their physical space. Interesting. What I've done is I have a playlist on my phone that's called mm-hmm. Writing Music. Yep. And it's, it's eight hours of music, and, it, and there's quiet writing music, and then there's I-need-to-get-something-done writing music. And what I do is I turn that on full blast so that I can't hear, see, or think of anything. And, uh-huh. and then just write. So that's very interesting. I'm, I'm actually creating my space through, in that case, through sound. Sound. That is correct. And locking and, off all of that. Right. And so, you know, there are so many different ways to create a physical space. And it doesn't actually have to take up that much room in your, in your right. house. Right. Uh, Val, that was awesome to, to how Howard started off with just a little box, almost like a shoebox type concept. And very, mm-hmm. very, that's very useful. Okay. Yeah. Number four. Yeah. Um, understand your biorhythms. Everybody's oh, body yeah. has high energy points of day and low energy points of day. <laughs> and what's yours? And, well, uh, mid-afternoon is always kind of a an energy lull for me. I want to take a nap. And so if I try and schedule my writing time at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it will not happen. You know, because I will go to sit down and write and I will fall asleep instead. So, um... You pay it to, and everybody's is different. Some people are most energetic first thing in the morning. Some people are most energetic late at night. Um, you know, I know writers who click on around 11 p.m. and they write till three or four in the morning. And uh, this is a guy who's full time, and so he has this luxury. He then sleeps until noon. You know, and so you just figure you need to watch your own body energy, and you need to see if you can schedule your creative time for a high energy point in your day. Now, this becomes more challenging if you have a day job because they 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 dictate a lot of your time. Yeah, they suck, um, all that, suck all that yeah. energy, uh, energy out. What's, yeah. your, what's yours? For me, um, I have actually two periods of, that I have higher energy. One is first thing in the morning when I get up. Um, and... It's actually between 8 and noon in the morning. If I sleep until 10 or 11, I don't get to have four hours. I only get to have one or two. It's not, yeah, it's not, it's not like it's a moving, uh, it's not, right? It doesn't, you sleep till 10, that doesn't mean you get to go till 2 with your creativity. No, it, 
No, it's noon. I don't know why, yeah. but that's the way that it is. Yep. So and so in the summer, one of my big challenges not sleeping through that, all of that energy. <laughs> and and what's the second one? You said you had two. Um, sometimes, but not every day, I will hit another spurt of energy uh, right around dinner time. Interesting. You know, right. You know, like right after from from you know six to ten. Sometimes I will hit another creative spurt. Um, for me, it's in the morning. Uh, I've known that for years and years, having even through high school, got, getting up at five thirty, six o'clock in the morning. Um, but I've discovered that you mentioned that nap. If I take a nap, it then shifts it. If I take a nap at two o'clock or three o'clock, it shifts it to a ten or eleven o'clock at night burst. Mm-hmm. Which uh, usually I'm not even awake at that point, but I, um, so that's very interesting. All right, well those those yeah. are two. Uh, that's cool. I like that. What do we got for number five? Well, I want to make one last oh. point on that, which yeah. is that you can work through. You can work whether or not you can manage to arrange to work in the creative in the high energy spots. It's just harder. Yeah, it's just so unproductive. I, yeah, for me, yeah. right around eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night, without the nap, it's just I have yeah. to. I have to tell myself stop. You think yep. you're being productive, but you're a zombie. Stop. Yeah. Um, the next point is use supports for your schedule. What does that mean? Create, creative people are not very good at scheduling themselves and keeping themselves on a schedule in general. Now, there are, there are exceptions. Some people are good at this. For me, I cannot um, – keep track. Sorry, I just got distracted by a child because that happens. Um, <laughs> we're finding <laughs> we're finding time, right? Right. Um, okay, so we talked about how, you know, you get up first thing in the morning, you know, 8 o'clock in the morning, that's my creative spot. And, but I have trouble in the summer actually getting up at 8 o'clock. In the school year, I'm up because I have to be up to get the kids off to school. And so the school schedule gets me up so that I'm awake during that creative, you know, those, those four good morning hours. And so as a creative person, you, you, you recognize that some of these uh, things that frustrate you, you know, the day job or the school schedule, these rigid points in, in your life actually can be used to help you keep on task. Uh, you know, I mentioned earlier the summer slump, which happens to me every year, and it's because I, I totally want to sleep late. I want to sleep until 10 in the morning. My body just thinks that's, you know, stay up late, sleep late, but I sleep through the creative stuff. And then, then the kids are home and they interrupt. And, and so without the structure, I get a whole lot less done and I feel a lot more muddled about everything I'm doing. So if you can uh, pay it, to, you know, one of the things I've done in the past is during the summer, I put swim lessons at, you know, eight or nine in the morning. What so lesson? What? Swim lessons for the kids. Oh, so you're up and taking them it, even though it's not school. Exactly. So I, that gets me up and moving in the morning. Or I will schedule, you know, I have a kid with cello lessons and I put those lessons. And, and using some of these uh, – external forces, things that are not me saying, well, I should get up at 8 a.m., 
if there's an appointment or something that will actually get me use it, moving, I can actually use those to my creative advantage. For example, this interview was scheduled in the morning for both of us to be creative, except for because of I was so up so late, I got the time zone wrong, and I, I thought I got it at 7 a.m. instead of what it was supposed to be 9 a.m. I apologize for calling and waking both you and Howard up. No, so you, no, problem. no, no, no. That's one of those structured things that uh, you make work. Right. All right. So we got we got two more here in our last couple of minutes. What's number six? Um, learn to work in fragments. Um, creative people tend to want to dive in and do all the project at once. So how do you? Uh, I totally understand that. So how do you do that? How do you learn to work in fragments? Well. Part of it is training your brain that that is okay, because um, we get so, uh, you know when my when I'm I'm following a train of thought and I want to write all the words that that say that train of thought I have to learn to trust that my brain will remember where I was even if I have to stop in the middle. But it won't, Sandra. I've tried. It won't remember because then I'm like, what was I thinking? I don't remember. Right, but. You have to learn to trust that if it was an important thought and relevant, that another version of that thought will uh, come back to you. All right. Okay. It I, may yeah. not be, you know, um, you can't remember it at that moment. But see, there's this, because we've witnessed that, where you lose the thought and now it's gone and you don't know what it is, there is this panic that if you don't finish it right now, it will never, you've lost it permanently. And it, you really haven't. Got it. The strong uh, it's just, creative ideas circle around and come back in a different form. Um, and by different form, it's not very different. It's really still the same thought. Got it. All right. I'll, I'll, I like that one. I, th you've given me permission to not panic when it comes and, and I can't write it down. So Exactly. What's, what's our last point here? The last point, and this is the one that uh, that I really like to emphasize, is Ponder the story of the tortoise and the hare because, you know, as creative people, we tend to be hares. We want to, we have this beautiful idea and we want to just dive in and complete the project and, you know, just race all the way to the end. But the end is a really long way away, especially with a big project. Uh, you know, if I'm writing a novel, there's no way that I'm going to sit down and be able to write a novel in in one sitting that's not going to happen i physically can't do it and so what i have to do is break it into smaller pieces and my instinct is well i'll just write you know two thousand words a day for a month and then i'll be done um and but that still wears you out and you still get brain fried and you still can't quite hit the finish line and so instead, what you have to do is realize that you can just do it in tiny, small pieces because the tortoise just keeps going. And he just, you know, little bit by little bit by little bit. And it's really hard to believe that that works until you've seen it work in your own life. You know, and that's a, that's a very valid point. In my case, this, this show... This show has been the tortoise of my hair creativity. The fact that we're on episode 200 and something that it's been going for three years, suddenly it's given me confidence like, look, you don't have to try to do it all at once. You can 
Take your time because you've got you've got this down. And breaking it into chunks, like you said, I've learned to break in the interviews into a chunk, and then the processing of the interviews, and then the posting and the and the management. Right. right? Each one of those becomes its own uh, creative endeavor, rather than all being linked together as one project. Right. So yes, that's a, excellent advice. Right. And and one of the difficult things is that creative people, when they when they rabbit themselves and they're exhausted, they then want to rabbit on a different project. Whereas if you tortoise your way through, you're just doing a small chunk that doesn't wear you out. And yes, it's hard to make yourself want to come back to it again and again and again. But when your brain runs off onto new projects, you just remember, no, this is the one I need to work on. And just a little bit, little bit, little bit. And at first, it feels like a slog. It really does until... Until you get to the end of that first novel or the end of that big project and you are able to look back and say, wow, I only wrote 15 minutes a day and here I am at the end of the year and I have a novel. Um, Sandra, we're out of time. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I say that because, wow, we just went through through more than 20 minutes of, uh, of great stuff. It went by fast. This has been absolutely invaluable and awesome. If And by the way, I know there's a secret bonus for those who have stayed all the way to the end of the interview. You actually have 10 of these on your website. Where can people go find the other three great pieces of advice on build, putting creativity into your life? Um, my website is onecobble.com. And I have an entire blog entry called Structuring, your, Structuring Life to Support Creativity. You can find it on the presentations tab or by using the search box. Or, you know, Richard may actually throw a link in his comments on this. uh, I will. I'll throw a link. We'll throw your picture up. Uh, We'll tweet this out. I think this is great, uh, invaluable, especially because everybody who's listening, I know, Sandra, I always ask people, hopefully they've been inspired. I know they have this time because there's everybody, almost 100% of the people listening to this show, are in that spot that you're talking about. And we're, and we're out of time. And this is something that obviously we'll have to find some time in your busy schedule to have you come back and, and continue to talk about these types of things. Sandra? Absolutely. Anytime you want. Thank you so much for taking the time. You're welcome. I'm glad to be here. You've been listening to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. My guest has been Sandra Taylor. Her website, onecobble.com, has great information about how to make creativity a part of your life. She has inspired us with seven great tips for finding that space in your life to make creativity a key part of it. Thanks for listening. Take care.